Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your look at everything going on in the worlds of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and animal weirdness. Uh, welcome back. It's It's been a whole week since our last Zoo News episode. Um, less than that, you know, since our interview, because that's how this works. We release the interviews on Tuesday and Zoo News on Friday. But yeah, um, interestingly, uh, you know, last week I talked about the fact that my grandfather, Poppy, passed away. And um, this week, less than a week actually after Poppy died, uh, Jerry Allison died. Now, I'm sure that most of you are saying, who the heck is that? Well, Jerry Allison was the drummer for the Crickets, originally known as Buddy Holly and the Crickets. And um, I have to tell you, when it came to learning about rockabilly and 50s rock early on in my career, it was Buddy Holly that made me fall in love with this music. Um, if y'all think it's weird that I listen to a bunch of old rock and roll most of the time and also, you know, play it for a living, um, the truth is I was even weirder as a kid. When I was growing up, I would only listen to big bands and then small group jazz. And I mean, look, there's a reason that my son is named Miles, and it is not uh, because I have to drive a lot of miles to see him every week. It's, it's after Miles Davis, obviously. Jazz was everything to me. And it remained that way until middle school when I discovered Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Uh, if you've listened to all of my episodes, you know that the, the main inspiration for me becoming a professional musician was seeing Ringo uh, with the Beatles. But I only even cared about Ringo and the Beatles because Jerry Allison was there playing the drums with Buddy Holly. Uh, Buddy was the, the first rockabilly artist I ever cared about and, and really got me into a lot of that older rock and roll that I'm, I'm still making to this day. Uh, again, there there's a reason, you know, Peggy Sue Paradiddle is the full name of my dog, Perry. And the reason why is uh, Jerry Allison, Buddy's drummer, came up with the idea of playing Paradiddles, a, a kind of drum thing that you can play, uh, in the song Peggy Sue instead of the, the cha-cha-cha beat that they were going to add to it. I'm getting real nerdy now. Um, but yeah, so Jerry has been a big influence. And I, I think it's really interesting. My grandfather was one of my biggest influences in life. He taught me a lot about how to think and how to process things and uh, honestly, how to show love and support to people. And uh, Jerry Allison taught me a lot about the exact kind of music that I make a living playing. Um, losing them in the same week was both uh, sad and poetic. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So rest in peace, Jerry Allison. Uh, you are gone, but not forgotten. And um, that's probably enough rambling from me. So let's get to Zoo News. What is Zoo News, you ask? It's Zoo and Aquarium and Conservation News submitted by other humans, and myself. I still do some research. And uh, if you see a zoo newsworthy thing, you can tag me in that post on Instagram or Facebook at Rossafari uh, or Twitter at Rossafari as well, uh, or on TikTok at Rossafari Pod, or you can email me Rossafari Pod at gmail.com. 
And whether I use your story or not, I will say your name after the the main part of the episode here before before the credits. So that's cool. And you can be a part of that. Also, make sure you're, you know, hitting subscribe on all the things and following all the things and and being a good podcast listener. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, let's get to this week's stories. One, two, three, four. Ow, oh, there's a funky monkey. Treat kangaroo. Oh, I've been too wrong. It's yeah. All right, y'all. So we're going to start off with a, a pretty heavy topic here. And I've, I've been doing some digging on this one. This is a little mini deep dive. Um, and I'm going to tell you the story of Noah's Ark. No, no, not, not that one. We're not getting into a Bible class here. Don't worry about that. Um, I'm talking about a sanctuary that is located in Georgia. And um, when I stumbled upon the story, I thought it was just going to be a very common, sad zoo news story. So I'll tell you that part first, okay? So Noah's Ark Sanctuary recently lost, and I can't even believe this is a real number, 700 vultures. That's right, 700 vultures due to the current highly pathogenic avian influenza virus outbreak, also known as avian influenza H5N1 or bird flu, that we have been talking about on here for weeks. This is the whole reason that many birds at many zoos across the country keep being taken off exhibit and there are signs up saying that there's a disease causing them issues and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's that one, okay? So... That makes sense that that happened, and it's really sad and really bad, and I was all ready to say, that really sucks, and we need to make sure that we're paying attention to this disease, and all of my condolences to everyone at Noah's Ark. But then it got weird. So I, I started doing a little more digging, and the first thing that I found out is that Noah's Ark is not... um accredited by any of the sanctuary accrediting bodies. Bobby Brink, in our Lions, Tigers, and Bears sanctuary episode from San Diego, pointed out that you always have to be a little concerned if a place calls itself a sanctuary and doesn't have any accreditation like that. But I did look and I did notice that, um, you know, despite not having that kind of accreditation, Noah's Ark does have some good stuff going for it, including the fact that it always passes its actual inspections from the government, and also that it is highly rated with Charity Navigator, Platinum Transparency, and the great nonprofits. So that all seems promising, even if it's not an accreditation. Okay, so, but then this goes a little deeper. It turns out that there has been a bunch of controversy at this sanctuary recently all around uh, Shelley Lakely, who is the uh, recently hired president of the sanctuary. It seems that the controversy started when the, um, oh, what is her title? The husbandry manager at Noah's Ark Animal Sanctuary uh, rescued and saved the lives of 21 wolf dogs which Noah's Ark had room for and which uh, it cost them nothing to rescue initially. I mean, obviously, there's the cost of taking care of them and everything, but there was no cost to the rescue because it was all covered. Um, and so uh, the um, this person named Allison stepped in and uh, 
saved those dogs, brought them to the sanctuary, despite the fact that Shelley allegedly said not to because she was worried that they were not wolf dogs, but were just dogs and they don't save dogs. And it was this whole big thing. However, um, Allison allegedly got it all checked out and knew that they were truly wolf dogs and reached out to multiple other sanctuaries and nobody was going to save them. So it was either these 21 wolf dogs die or they get sent to Noah's Ark for free. And Allison went ahead and had them sent to Noah's Ark. For that decision, Shelley suspended Allison for 30 days without pay. The veterinarian at the sanctuary was also involved in the decision-making and in helping to prove that they were, in fact, wolf dogs and has been suspended for 30 days as well. Neither Allison nor the veterinarian are allowed on property at all during this time. Allison alleges that Shelley is moving forward with her own plans for taking care of the birds at the sanctuary at this time without the animal husbandry manager or the veterinarian there and is refusing to cover the aviaries or take the birds inside. Uh, the birds housed there include over 250 parrots, corvids, and raptors. So that's it's a lot of birds uh, with this whole disease clearly spreading through the area right now. In fact, Allison alleges that Shelley is not even making volunteers aware that there is the possibility of uh, the disease being present at Noah's Ark. And that's a problem because bird flu can transfer to humans. And also many of the volunteers there actually have pet birds at home that they could be taking the flu home to and, and you know, damaging, killing their own pets. Now, you may be wondering why Allison at this point hasn't just reached out to the government, to U.S. Fish and Wildlife or to any of the um, agencies that would be in charge of, of Noah's Ark. And, um, well, it turns out that this is something that may change soon, but right now, none of those departments really have any concern about birds in these situations. It's very strange to me. But um, so, yeah, when a sanctuary says that they have passed government inspections, uh, the government inspector can walk in and see birds in horrible conditions and do nothing about it as long as mammals and other animals are properly taken care of. It's, it's really weird and a strange loophole. And I've been reading a lot that that is probably going to change very soon. But as of right now, nothing that is done or not done for these birds will affect the uh, the ability of Noah's Ark to continue to function with government permits and everything uh, as they currently are. The allegations of mistreatment were so serious that Henry County's board of commissioners, uh, that's apparently the county where this place is located, um, decided to have a hearing on the sanctuary. And along with the concerns that I already raised, uh, there were also concerns about other animal safety issues and also the transparency policies of Noah's Ark, despite, as I mentioned earlier, it having a platinum transparency rating and good ratings with Charity Navigator and great nonprofits. So, yeah, if these allegations are true, and I cannot stress enough that they are just allegations, please don't sue me. Um, I, 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 you know, I don't know, man. It's just I hate to see this kind of thing. Is the ego of one person, in this case, Shelley, so large that animals need to die because of it? 
is this a real sanctuary or a roadside zoo or somewhere in between? I guess time will tell. It's great that these hearings are happening and that public awareness is being raised. But it's also worth mentioning that, uh, you know, we're hearing and seeing Allison's side of the story. And she was suspended for doing something that her boss didn't approve of. And um, that can be a valid reason to get rid of somebody. You know, there are two sides to this story and nothing has been officially settled or or set in court or anything where it's not worth mentioning both sides. But I think the biggest part of this story to me, what really stands out, is just the bigger story. We can take it away from Noah's Ark and apply it to any Bible store. I mean, to, to any facility. And um, I just think it's so important that we leave egos out of conservation and out of taking care of animals. You know, it's it's not ever about you. And the way this story is being told right now, it seems that the person in charge thinks it's all about her. And that is never okay. I think if you asked me what one story has affected me the most from this entire podcast, I would send you to Season 1, Episode 58, Hotel for Frogs, with Heidi Ross and Edgardo Griffith of the El Valle Amphibian Conservation Center Foundation. That was the one, uh, if you haven't listened to it or if it's been a while, that was the one where we talked about saving Panamanian golden frogs and um, how there was this great project that was, you know, happening in Panama, in situ conservation. Yay! And they had this population and yay! And everything was great. And then uh, the people in charge couldn't agree on the best way to proceed. And rather than figure it out and rather than compromise or or try one way or whatever, uh, it got so bad that the organization broke into the foundation population that they were using for breeding was divided in half and separated. And uh, everyone had to try again, basically from the start. And uh, when I was speaking to them, they were set up in a hotel room with a second hotel room dedicated to keeping this endangered frog species alive. They had moved their frogs into a hotel room because egos couldn't get out of the way. So whatever the end result of this story is, and you know, I'll keep you, uh, I'll keep you informed if I get to hear more. Um, just let's keep in mind that egos have no place in, in this kind of story. We need to come together to save animals. And speaking of follow-up stories, I actually have a couple follow-up stories that I wanted to share with y'all. The The first one is, without a doubt, a heartbreaker, but uh, I, I need to, to tell you anyway. Uh, the snowy owl owlets that I've talked to you about being born recently at the Akron Zoo have passed away unexpectedly. They are doing a necropsy uh, because they really have no clue why. There were no visible signs of trauma, injury, or illness. And uh, the Akron Zoo is doing their best to figure out what happened. But this is absolutely heartbreaking. And um, the team absolutely did their best work. So sending our condolences to everyone at the Akron Zoo. On a happier note, I know that I mentioned recently that Potter Park Zoo 
has some bintlets, which is what they're calling baby binturongs, and I'm so happy about that. And they are now holding a bintlet naming contest. So you can go to at Potter Park Zoo on social media and find the link. There are currently four sets of names that you can vote on, and two of them are not doing well at all. That is Archie and Shirley, which almost nobody voted for, and Orville and Betty, which very few people have voted for so far. Uh, And then in third place is Fern and Rufus, which, by the way, is the official Rossafari pick of what their name should be. Uh, That's in second place right now. And Bintang and Zula is in first place. So if you would like to go vote, and especially if you'd like to go vote for Fern and Rufus, then just go to Potter Park Zoo's social media, follow the links, and uh, it is a $5 donation per vote. Um, but, you know, what's, what's money when you get to help name Bentlets? So if that interests you, go check it out. What? No, I promise I'm not going to spend all my money on the, I No, I'm not going to spend all my money on the name, I promise. Only, only some of it. Uh, anyway, uh, we've also been talking a lot recently about EEHV, which is the disease that has been wiping out elephants both in the wild and in captivity. Uh, it seems like a bunch of zoos lately have lost elephants to EEHV, and it's just really sad. Um, I mentioned before that the St. Louis Zoo is setting up a lab to study this, and I'm now going to tell you that uh, working with the International Elephant Foundation and the um, SAFE program of the AZA, the Columbus Zoo is also going to establish its own EEHV lab set to open later this year. These two zoos jumping in together to help fight this battle in such a powerful way is going to make a huge difference in this story. I truly believe that. And then... Last but not least, for our catch-up stories, uh, I mentioned the wolf pack in Vancouver that was still missing one of their wolves after they were apparently set free in a, um, well, let's just say in a not great way. Uh, And yeah, Tempest is home. The last wolf has come back. So that's great news. And even though one passed away, uh, really, things couldn't have gone much better. So it's so nice that Tempest is back at the zoo in Vancouver. And uh, I'm just so happy for the team there. And those were all of our cool little follow-ups in Zoo News this week. Now, I think it's important to note that in Zoo News, we often talk about the big conservation efforts that the various zoos are undertaking that I'm just super happy and proud of. And those are always really important. But now I want to give a shout out to two facilities that did small but mighty work that I think is really cool. First of all, a shout out to our friends at Roger Williams Park Zoo. As is the case with uh, many zoos over the summer, uh, they had a zoo camp. And the campers at uh, Roger Williams Park Zoo wrote a letter to the city council president uh, in their area, John Igliazzi. And um, the letter highlighted the threats currently facing the critically endangered red wolf. Y'all know I love me some wolf conservation. 
the council president was so moved by the letter that he was able to donate $5,000 to Roger Williams Park Zoo to help support the zoo's current and ongoing conservation initiatives. That is so cool that these kids did this. And he was able to get the check in time to actually present it to the campers so they got to see the impact of their conservation work in real time. You know, we always talk about going out into the field and getting dirty and doing all this stuff, but uh, just writing a letter can help. There are so many things that we can do to help save animals, and I just think that is incredible. And it's also important to remember that, you know, staff members at a lot of these facilities go out and do the thing as well. Our friends at Adventure Aquarium recently partnered with the Center for Aquatic Sciences to go to Pine Point Park and clean up trash. In total, the team was able to remove 136 pounds of trash from the park. That is beyond insane. And I'm so proud of these people who are already killing themselves at their day job for going out and doing the thing in the world. It's it's these small but big things that we can all go do that I'm just so happy about right now. And speaking of some of the unsung heroes at zoos, um, you know, there are people who work at zoos who do things like apply for grants and talk to the government about the work they're doing and just all of these things in the hope of making an impact. And uh, our good friends at Elmwood Park Zoo recently were able to talk to the state about the fact that they are a cultural and economic asset in uh, their community. And because of that, we're able to get the state of Pennsylvania to invest $100,000 into the zoo to support the amazing work they do. So that's incredible. Yay, state of Pennsylvania for doing that. But also yay to everyone behind the scenes at Elmwood Park Zoo that is constantly working to come up with cool stuff like that because that money had to go somewhere and it may as well go to the animals that we love like Slash the Red Panda. Yay! And speaking of cool zoo things happening in the Philadelphia area, the Philadelphia Zoo has partnered with NJM Insurance Group uh, to give you a sunny day guarantee if you visit the Philadelphia Zoo. What this means is that if it rains one quarter of an inch during your next zoo visit, you can receive a free ticket to visit again in 2022. You must be at the zoo at the time of the rain, obviously, and uh, you can go to the guest services podium to get your free ticket, which is paid for by NJM Insurance. I just think that's really cool. Nothing bums me out more than finding out I'm going to be at a zoo for one day and the weather is going to destroy my trip there. Now, when I say that, I don't mean it'll stop me from going because I am an idiot who has gone to zoos and everything from thunderstorms to basically monsoons to 65 mile an hour windstorms and worse. But, you know, it's not as fun. Still fun, but not as fun. So yeah, you can now go to the Philly Zoo, and if it rains, get to go again. Plus, you can wander the Philly Zoo in the rain, which is actually kind of fun and usually means less people. So win-win. And Seneca Park Zoo has partnered with Rochester School for the Deaf to have Deaf Culture Awareness Day coming up on September 17th. 
There will be ASL interpreters on site all day. And um, yeah, it's just a way to, to raise awareness of deaf culture while being at the zoo and also to help the members of the deaf community that go to the zoo that day to get to, uh, you know, actually experience keeper talks and stuff. I think it's a very cool idea. Nice work, Seneca Park. Zoo Knoxville has announced that its three elephants will be moving to a sanctuary in Middle Tennessee to live out the rest of their lives. The three are all older elephants, and the zoo says that sending them to the sanctuary will give them companionship that they need as they enter into the later stages of their lives. The zoo has also said that it will be releasing a new master plan soon, which will feature the future of elephants in Knoxville. So it seems like they're not giving up on having elephants at Zoo Knoxville, uh, but maybe this master plan will will have, uh, I don't know, a better environment for them, a bigger environment for them. I love Zoo Knoxville. I, I always thought the elephants seemed quite happy and fine there, don't get me wrong, but it does seem that nowadays more and more zoos are choosing to either move away from elephants or give them ridiculously huge and beautiful habitats like the new one at the Fort Worth Zoo that is breathtaking. I want to live there. Um, but yeah, so I'll be curious to see what that ends up looking like, but it's, it's pretty cool that they felt that this was the best thing to do for the animals in their care and thus did it. The blows seem to keep coming for the Henry Villas Zoo. Now, I told you about the investigation that is ongoing and that we'll know more about on October 1st. Uh, but the Henry Villas Zoo announced this week that their 14-year-old red panda, Ty, has been diagnosed with cancer. When Bandit, my buddy from Columbus, showed up to the zoo and was being very playful and silly and goofy, uh, Ty was, you know, was an older panda, not necessarily super interested in doing all of that, and uh, seemed to want some alone time. Uh, and so they separated the two pandas, and when they separated them, Ty didn't start acting any more normal, and then she started turning down food. And that's when they realized something was possibly wrong. So they took Ty in for testing, and lo and behold, Ty has cancer. They are planning on proceeding with chemotherapy and trying to treat the cancer, but all of that will obviously be happening off exhibit, though you can still go and see Bandit on exhibit at this time. Uh, I, I really hope for the best for, for Ty and, and the Keeper staff at Henry Villas Zoo. And, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to do these reports, not just because Ty's an incredible red panda and, and famous amongst uh, fandas and also, you know, the people that go to the zoo. But also, I love Henry Villas Zoo. I remember thinking when Bandit was moving there that I was sad that he was leaving an area I get to a lot, but that I knew he was going to a great place. And now here I am sharing another story about, you know, an issue at Henry Villas Zoo. And yeah, cancer can happen to any panda anywhere. This isn't on them. But uh, yeah, I, I just hate being the bearer of bad news about a place that, that seems so cool to me and that I like so much. So uh yeah, I, I hope everything works out there. And um, remember, whatever the results of the investigation are, most likely most of the animal care staff and most of the people doing the day-to-day -day work uh, were not part of the problem and are amazing people with great hearts for animals. Just, just keep that in mind. 
The Metro Richmond Zoo announced that this year has been its best year ever for birthing cheetahs as they welcomed 19 cubs in a couple of different litters this year. That is absolutely insane, absolutely incredible, and um, I've seen cubs at that zoo before and they always seem to be having like the best time. So congrats to the Metro Richmond Zoo on that accomplishment. The Los Angeles Zoo recently launched a 10-week paid internship program for college students from over-excluded identities in the Los Angeles area. The program's goal is to provide the students with the opportunity to work directly with industry professionals on projects in conservation, learning and engagement, and animal nutrition. Uh, They had 14 interns this year working on that stuff. And, um, you know, it is pretty well known that there are a lot of barriers to people from minority communities getting into the zookeeping field. We talked about that on our AMZAP episode and many others. And um, I think it's really cool that the LA Zoo took this initiative and that it was a paid internship because one of the biggest prohibiting factors in in that whole situation is that most internships are unpaid, which is a problem for like a whole lot of reasons. So yeah, all right, Los Angeles Zoo, very cool. And then our last story in the Zoo News segment this week is really interesting to me and I'm I'm excited to share it with you even though it's it's not the greatest thing in the world. So basically, the controlled population of orangutans in zoos might be really messy and confused uh, from a genetic standpoint, not just from a they are often confused and like to make messes standpoint. So back in 2011, there was this paper that was published that was supposedly tracking uh, the genome of orangutans. And recent studies done looking back at that paper have shown some serious issues with uh, what's in there. Um, They pulled a photo from one animal that was supposedly a female, but it had cheek pads, which is a male orangutan trait. Uh, In further digging, they learned that a label for one orangutan was actually uh, a pig. And another orangutan marked as Doris from the Dallas Zoo was actually Cebu from Zoo Atlanta. Um, the The original authors uh, were aghast, and they they had to issue a lengthy correction to their original paper um, because it turned out that as much as ninety percent of the samples that they used for their paper were inadvertently switched. Now. That has a lot of issues for the research done on the orangutans, but it also um, makes it really awkward because uh, it seems that the orangutans in captivity are not necessarily genetically who we thought they were. And then on top of that, uh, there is a third species of orangutan that was discovered in 2017 
And so now you get into all kinds of questions. Are we breeding what we thought were two species across three different species? Are we crossbreeding? Are we muddying the gene pool of an animal that we're supposedly trying to save? Uh, as has been said by many people, it's not a conservation breeding program if you are allowing different species of an animal to mate freely. The uh, ACA came out and said that they will review the research and consult with experts to figure out what's going on. They haven't committed to any course of action yet. Uh, ironically, um, the SAFE program for orangutans uh, that is run by the ACA is run by Rhonda Schwetz, the uh, leader and, and director of the Henry Villas Zoo in Madison, who's under all kind of fire right now. And weirdly, she did not respond to requests for comment on this any more than she did for any of the other controversies she's involved with. I am sad. So yeah, what does this mean for orangutans in captivity? I do not know yet, but uh, it, it's pretty scary and, and it looks pretty darn bad right now. So um, I'll be curious to see how they work this out. And, and I guess there's going to be a lot more genetic testing of orangutans in the near future, especially in the captive population. <laughs> Typical animal podcast theme song. Here to bring you to conservation news. Okay, so since the zoo news section was insanely long this week, we're going to do a couple of quick hits here in conservation news. First of all, uh, jaguars have been spotted near the Arizona border, which is a first since they were hunted out of the U.S. So that's really exciting. Uh, jaguars are awesome. And uh, it's nice to have them back in the country. I, I hope they come and... Uh, hang out in Pennsylvania. I know they never have before, but hey, maybe there will be some good aspects of global warming. Okay, that's not going to happen. But yay, Jaguars, US. Woo! Kemp's Ridley sea turtles have hatched for the first time in the Louisiana wilds in more than 75 years. This is like the third different story that I have done about sea turtles hatching in areas that they used to hatch in and haven't hatched in in a long time. And I'm just really excited about this. Um, I'm not going to think of all of the maybe negative consequences of climate change that are leading to these guys getting back to where they used to be born. I'm just going to be happy that this means that uh, sea turtles are nesting in more of the area that they used to nest in a long time ago. That's, that's, that's a good sign, right? We'll take it. Good sign. Researchers at the National Marine Mammal Foundation in San Diego recently decided to strap GoPro cameras to a pair of bottlenose dolphins, uh, which the U.S. Navy has trained to locate mines with their sonar calls, which just, that's so cool. Um, but in this case, the, the dolphins were not actually hunting mines. They were just out on their own hunting fish, and scientists kind of wanted to see how they did that. Uh, one of the two dolphins, though, ate eight different yellow-bellied sea snakes in one day. Now, this is something that has never been documented before. There is documentation of dolphins playing with sea snakes and then releasing them. But uh, sea snakes are venomous. And, you know, ingesting venomous snakes can be problematic. 
Um, but yeah, this dolphin was doing it very happily. And, um, the, the dolphin would even make a noise that was, uh, known to the scientists to be kind of a victory call after it would eat each of the snakes. So, um, that's really weird and kind of strange, and scientists have no idea why this has happened, but the dolphin showed no ill effects. So clearly there is something that we do not yet understand about bottlenose dolphins and their apparent ability to ingest uh, venomous creatures. So that's cool. And speaking of cool things, a bird watcher in Colombia recently spotted a Santa Marta saber wing, which is a blue and green hummingbird that is native to the area and is wildly endangered. How endangered, you ask? Well, this is only the second time that this bird has been seen in the last 76 years, and it is also listed as one of the top 10 most wanted lost birds by the search for lost birds. Um, most of the habitat in which this bird species used to live uh, has been um, developed and agriculture has taken it over. So the forests that they lived in are down to about 15% of their original size. And uh, now after the second sighting, scientists are planning to look for more saber wings in the area. So that's really exciting. And I want to give a shout out to Wild Animal Health Fund for talking about this and uh, making me aware of it because it's, it's really cool and exciting. A bird that had gone extinct has re-evolved itself back into existence. This is one of the craziest things I have ever read. But yeah, okay, so there is a bird known as the Aldabra rail, which uh, is the last surviving native flightless bird in the uh, Indian Ocean region where it comes from. It is a descendant of the flying white-throated rail, and, um, you know, many, 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 many thousands of years ago, the flying white-throated rail lost its ability to fly over time because of evolution uh, due to a lack of predators in the area, which made flight unnecessary. Unfortunately, it turns out that flight would have actually been a good idea because um, back about 136,000 years ago, uh, the island that these birds lived on uh, went under the sea and had a mass extinction event. All of the animals that lived on the island died off, including all of the Aldabra rails. So... After time, the waters receded, the island came back, and as you might guess, the flying white-throated rail returned to the island. And in just 20,000 years, which evolutionarily is really quick, the flying white-throated rail became the non-flying white-throated rail and evolved into basically being the same exact species of Aldabra rail that had previously gone extinct. Uh, this is the first time that this has ever been recorded in history, uh, the same species of bird becoming flightless twice. And um, yeah, it, they have the same ancestral bird. So evolutionarily speaking, this is the same species. Now, 
There may be some people who study taxonomy, taxonomists? Yeah, we'll go with that, uh, who who disagree and, and would argue that you need genetic testing. But to my knowledge, I did some research and I don't think it's been done yet. Uh, but yeah, from an evolutionary standpoint, this is very unique and very cool. And uh, the Aldabra rail is back, baby. And last but not least this week in conservation news, uh, the situation we talked about before where India is trying to reintroduce a wild cheetah population by bringing some cheetah in from Africa is not going super well. Uh, Recently, the team in India rejected the cheetahs that were going to be sent there from Namibia, claiming that they were captive raised, and obviously you don't want to release captive raised animals into the wild. Namibia says that these cheetahs were not captive raised and um, is refusing to send any additional cheetahs from Namibia to make up the difference. So with less population going to India, there's now a debate about whether the project will go forward on the same timeline or wait for them to find additional uh, African cheetahs from other countries to release into India. Coupling this with the concerns that I already mentioned that some conservationists have about the fact that there was a difference between Indian and African cheetahs and also that there are other uh, predators that will be uh, affected by this, um, most noticeably the um, the leopards uh, that live in the area that have been being tranquilized and removed uh, as part of this project. I don't know. There's just – there's a lot of concern about this project. It's It's very ambitious and it seems – kind of cool on the surface but um it's it's not really a reintroduction and it's it's not it's a translocation of african cheetahs to india and um I, you know the term that we use for that is invasive species and uh i don't know the more i read about this the the less gung-ho i am about the idea so uh i'll be curious to see how this all plays out i think uh the conservation community will definitely learn a lot from it whether it actually happens or not Recently, footage of a horse that was uh, drawing a carriage, uh, you know, one of those horse-drawn carriages, in New York City went viral because the horse collapsed in the heat and the, uh, the driver was kicking it and yelling at it and telling it to stand up. Um, which is probably not the best way to, uh, to handle that. I, Zoe is the one who's interested in animal behavior, but I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that's not great. Uh, the video then showed members of, I believe it was the NYPD, hosing the horse down to try to get it to cool down. So that's fun and exciting for everyone. Yeah, not a great look. Needless to say, um, there is now a huge movement happening on social media and, you know, even crazier in the real world uh, to officially shut down the horse-drawn carriage industry in New York City. Uh, Sounds good to me. As as beautiful as those things are, even when I was younger and, and not 
excited about conservation and everything. I could never bring myself to hop onto one of those. It just seemed like a lot. I know we ride horses and I know that we do lots of things, but I don't know. That industry just doesn't seem particularly great for the horses. So uh, I'll be curious to see if anything comes of this. There have been other movements in the past and uh, as we know, nothing, nothing happened, but now there are like viral videos and stuff. So sometimes the internet doesn't suck. Oh, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays. Hey! All right, and now it is time for your animal holidays for the week. So we are releasing this episode on Friday, August 26th, which is National Dog Day and also World African Painted Dog Day, which I guess makes sense since they are dogs and it's already National Dog Day. Then you get nothing until the 30th, which is International Whale Shark Day. Then we make it to September, which is Save the Koala Month. And also September 1st is International Primate Day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. All right, there you have it. Another week of Raw Safari Zoo News is done. Uh, I'm excited to say, I don't think I've said this on here yet, but um, I'm going to be leaving on Saturday to head to the AZA conference. They're having the annual conference in Baltimore, and I will be attending. So if you listen to this podcast and you are going to the AZA conference, Find me. Let's hang out. Let's say hi. Let's be friends. Unless you're a weirdo and then leave me the heck alone. Kidding. Probably. But anyway, yeah, it should be a really good time. And I'm hopefully going to get some good content and make some good connections. And we'll 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 do the thing. We'll we'll podcast it up. It should be fun. Uh, yeah, so I'd like to say thank you to Lara Shank, my Red Panda level patron. And remember, you can support the pod for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash Safari. And I'd also like to say thanks to everybody who contributed stories this week. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Lara Shank, Andrew King, and Michael Sebastian. And remember, friends, the words newsy credits backwards... Our Steiderk, Yeswen. The Ross Safari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Ross Safari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Ross Safari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.